0: So, I've been <laughs> trying to find a way to put my thesis to use, <laughs> and I thought, might as well just make a dumb dive episode <laughs> out of it, because it's interesting, nothing else. So
1: And very relevant.
0: Ah, yeah, yeah. With all the unrest and strife and everything happening in the world, you know?
1: Yeah, and also to the sort of, like, idea that we started dumb hmm. dive with to explore these concepts. I think that this is a really cool topic. So, yeah. uh, why don't you introduce what right. we're talking about?
0: So, today we're going to be talking about autonomous weapons. That's, <laughs> that's about <laughs> it, actually, which is, we're, we're going to be talking about <laughs> autonomous weapons and um, whether they should be developed at all. Um, th- that's basically it for now. We might not be able to mm-hmm. get uh, into the entirety of my thesis, but definitely a dumb dive into it. Mm-hmm. So to start off with, what uh, what do you know about autonomous weapons?
1: When you say that, in my head, I just imagine like a Gundam, a robot with a gun, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I, I I just like I'm so far removed from army technology. I don't even know what a real autonomous weapon like in use in modern day militaries would look like.
0: I mean, so the Gundam, okay, so probably a really good way to explain a Gundam in terms of what autonomous weapons are right now is that a Gundam is a supervised uh, weapon system in that you have have a human in control at all times. And it can perform certain actions autonomously, like it can prob- it can defend itself to some extent. but f-
1: It's basically like the Iron Man suit. Yeah,
0: yeah, ba- basically. It has some level of AI, some level of, of autonomy, but for, for the most part, it's supervised. There is a human in control mm. at all times. And like the human has the kill switch, basically. Mm. So there are three levels of autonomy when we talk about autonomous weapons altogether. One is automated, which is you know a- automated or automatic, you can say, so that's basically you know um it's it like again these things are like super weird to um define because it's mm. it's it it all kind of blurs into a continuum, but basically automatic systems uh to give like a civilian example are like. Those smart ACs that can turn on, turn off according to parameters that you set. Okay. But you know, it's still
1: so like a very, uh, a very rudimentary yeah, like super rule, rudimentary. rule engine that you define. Yeah,
0: super rudimentary. It's like um, you can program those robots to follow a certain path in a maze, and that's the only path they can follow without learning anything more. That's automatic. Okay. Automated, you know, by name itself. Um, implies that there is a certain level of um, there's a certain level of uh, you know thinking for lack of a better word that these systems go through they're able to take in external conditions external parameters and kind of tweak their functioning to suit those so Wait, what's the term for the second one You give? automated okay so i mean that's again um smartphones to some extent are automated you know the more you kind mm. of use predictive text, the more it itself can, you know, type out coherent sentences for you. Or um, mm. Gmail, uh, Gmail has that um, function, right, where you press tab and it kind of auto completes a sentence for you. Right. right so right. that kind of thing is probably automated um, account, but it can't like complete its entire task on its own. Okay. Um. So that's automated. The third is autonomous. Now, automatic and automated systems are super predictable because they're like, there's only like a few variables that are in play, right? Like when we're talking about um, the golf's kind of, um, when we're talking about the golf's cruise control system, it's yeah. only the distance between cars and like lane control that we're talking about. Yeah. But the moment you switch it up to something a bit more complex, like the Tesla's autonomous driving thing, mm. it's able to take turns. It's able to navigate. It's able to come all the way to you um, regarding your f- like by by locating you on your phone, whatever. Yeah, it's and not just GPS detecting like you. the vehicles yeah. like
1: around it. It's also de- trying to detect like the stop signs and traffic lights and yeah, people crossing so, by and all of those as well
0: exactly and so there's a lot there's a lot more um that comes into consideration like um, a true self-driving car you know it has to take into account the fact that people themselves are unpredictable drivers they may swerve lanes uh, pedestrians may jaywalk there can be terrible weather conditions that kind of make it difficult for the car to uh, gather data about the road all of these things so with increasing intelligence it basically becomes tougher for um, for an, for a system to become truly autonomous mm. you know so for the most part when it comes to autonomous weapons themselves mm. uh, they tend to be more in the automated realm okay so they tend to be in the realm of like having human supervision mm. but mm. they're able to carry out certain functions on their own right. uh, for example uh, I think the the U.S. Navy has this thing called the Phalanx um, defense system, which uh, basically, it automatically targets things that enter its airspace and fires.
1: So this is like an uh, anti-air
0: uh, Yeah, anti-air system. defense system. Okay. And it fires and like just kind of neutralizes the targets, unless there's a human who disables that thing. So for the most part, there's like a couple of operators who, you know, Say like either let it go out if they Mm -hmm. think there's a hostile in the area Mm -hmm. or, you know, they'll kind of just put it on hold or disable it for a while if there's like a civilian entering their airspace or whatever. Again, this is all reductive. I'm not like getting too much into the actual functioning of these systems. It's more just about the concepts. I'm
1: kind of curious, like if uh, you were to take uh, anti-air defense and make that like, what would, what sort of intelligence could push that into, like, a fully autonomous uh, system?
0: So, when the, we talk about fully autonomous, we're saying there is no human control at all. Right. Right. Um, and so far, I don't think any AI or yeah. any, um, any intelligence system is really powerful enough to cede that level of control. Sure.
1: Yeah. Let's. I'm. I'm just talking hypothetically. What like. Oh. Um. Hypothetically,
0: we'd need. We'd need a system that is able to make logical decisions and will have and that has the same political status Mm. as humans. So, essentially, we need to be able to put responsibility on the machine, Mm. for it to uh, be fully autonomous. So that's like the big, um, that's the big ethical question that comes into control when we're talking about autonomous weapons. All right. You know, who is responsible for the weapons um, functioning, for. essentially? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, so for like a couple of modern day examples, there's the high speed anti-radiation missile and the Harpy missile. So both of these are kind of in between supervised and fully autonomous where in that, um, you know, you fire them into like a target, a target area Mm. and they can search and engage targets. They can search and like eliminate stuff on their own, uh, without needing human supervision, control, whatever. Okay.
1: so So like you, you sort of like send it off with, uh, an idea, like, like some sort of like idea and enc- encoding of the target that it should be looking for and yeah so it's, it's, like, it it's like
0: um yeah it's like a typical lock on thing right so you lock it onto a certain target area so like whatever the radius is maybe like five kilometers radius or whatever hmm. and it searches out so in case of the harm system it's used to take out radar systems and like communications basically so within a certain radar within a certain um distance within a certain like operati- operating field of like 90 odd kilometers it can take out those radar systems okay on its own like completely on its own um, so
1: it's like a missile that can launch other projectiles or something
0: oh no 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 it's like it's it's just a missile on its own okay okay but the thing is it can it can Locate its own targets and ah, choose okay. which one to engage within that target range. Mm, mm. Um, and the Harpy is is a lot broader in scope. So, while the HARM missile, which mm. is, um, like I said, high-speed anti-radiation, while that um, has a range of around 90 kilometers and can only stay airborne for around four and a half minutes or so, mm. the Harpy is... A lot more um, broad scoped. It has like 500 kilometers range and can target anything in that 500 kilometers. Any radar oh, wow. installation, whatever. Mm. So, the 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 difference in scope is what um, blurs the line. Mm-hmm. So the harm basically goes more towards a supervised kind of thing. Right. Because you have to have more specialized knowledge. Um, in terms of what you're targeting with, with the harm missile. Because right. it's only 90 kilometers. You don't have too much um, time or space to really cede much control to it. Right. The only control that the missile has is which installation within that 90 kilometers it's going to target. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's not really too much. You don't often have multiple installations within 90 kilometers of each other. Right. Uh,
1: by any chance, do you know if if it doesn't find a target, does it still go off?
0: It it I think it gets disabled or uh, finds like yeah I think it gets disabled or something. Okay. Uh, I I didn't do my research into that because uh, <laughs> yeah, that no, wasn't no. like my my key area of interest. But I think it gets disabled. Mm. Um, but so so the time and space um given to the harm system is a lot less than to the Harpy system, which is like a range of 500 kilometers, like I said before, and it can hover for a while, for like a couple of hours or something. Wow, okay. So so it's given a huge amount of range, and so you're seeding a lot more control to it because of that range. Mm. So it tends to move towards a more autonomous system.
1: Right.
0: However... That, that kind of autonomy and like giving it control and everything only goes so far as it can choose targets. It doesn't have the intelligence to, you know, make decisions the way a human would. Like like say you have a fighter pilot with like right. traditional, you know, lock-on or guided missiles.
1: Right.
0: He can always choose to abort his mission saying, no, there are too many civilians in the area or there's this, there's that. There's right. n number of factors that complicate it. Whereas, a, a missile doesn't have the discretion or the intelligence to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Like.
0: So it's not yet these like, are pro- go-
1: like... Pretty much they're only able to sense the target and not really the scope of what it might do, yeah. like the implications of it outside of that. So unless the programmers had some like rudimentary like risk analysis. Yeah, moral like, mechanic say, or whatever. Yeah, let's say if yeah. it, it, the, the, the missile is able to detect two different uh, targets in that uh, zone, uh, they might have some decision-making system programmed into it. But Oh, no, that is there. That is but there. Still, is there a multiple target? It's, uh, it's not like a complete, like, uh, it's not truly able to understand the scope of what, the what going mm. uh, going off is going to do, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, they're not intelligent, right? They're just mm. smart. Mm. So that's the current. Um, that's the current. Well, state of autonomous weapons. So as um, as we speak, but um, the reason I wrote my thesis is you know there's like a there's an information war basically in the world. Mm. Um, and, like, I don't mean to say this in like some apocaly- uh, apocalyptic way or anything. It's just that every country is kind of engaged in weaponizing their artificial intelligence systems, their data, and everything in a certain way um, to, you know, aid military decision making, to aid their strategic planning, to make their citizens more um, tend to to make the citizens tend towards a more nationalistic identity rather than a global identity. Yeah.
1: And obviously also they are like those developments in technology and AI are also uh, uh, like impacting the economy in terms of like the companies that are able to do a lot more and so on. So this is one facet of that technology.
0: Like for example, there was, um, I think there was Project Maven um, which was um, a Google run um, AI project for the Pentagon. It's okay. discontinued it's been discontinued for like five odd years now. Um, but you know the fact remains that whatever funding the Goog- whatever funding Google received from the Pentagon enabled them to make um, AI systems that you know obviously helped the military but and was also used to further their own um, you know artificial intelligence goals exactly. Uh, so it has implications on both civilian life and military um, life as well. Mm-hmm. So, so this information war is obviously, I I mean, it's not fear mongering. It's just that it's important to know about. And it's y- you know like um, the fear is there that at some point we're going to create intelligent machines that can right. cre- that can like make their own decisions. I think. If not an inevitability, there's a very likely. Um, it's a, it's a very likely trajectory that our that our path is taking. Yeah, and you also know?
1: like we are seeing that uh, the the automated machines, like mm. the scope for automatability, if I can use that yeah. word, is getting yep. larger and larger. So a missile that let's say the state of the art of like Ten, fifteen years ago, was 90 mm-hmm. kilometers. Maybe it's it was 500 a few years ago, and might be uh, 1,000, 2,000 kilometers now, in a couple of years. Yeah. So it's just like that scope is getting bigger and bigger. It might still be for mm-hmm. one task, but then someone else might come up with the ability to solve a slightly new task, and that's constantly improving. So yeah, even yeah. if it's not like a perfectly all-knowing intelligence. For the scope of what?
0: What far future. But, um, you know, if autonomous weapons... Um, if fully autonomous weapons... So fully autonomous is they're capable of making their own decisions. There's no human supervision or minimal human supervision. Right. All of that. Um, and if they're if they are fully autonomous, then there's two ways to go about it. One way is to say... If they're fully autonomous, then they deserve to be treated like soldiers, like actual um, humans. Mm. So they are genuine agents is the philosophical term or like the political term, basically. Mm. Which means that um, the locus of responsibility, you know, the, the, the responsibility for their actions lies on the weapon itself, on this, on the intelligence that governs the weapon itself. And if it's that case, then we have to come up with, you know, systems of punishment. We have to come up with a political hierarchy that allows these systems to be in there uh, and take part in that political um, field, all of that. So that's one way of looking at it. The second so way wait, wait, is... Hold up.
1: So in that way, you're basically like treating an AI uh, or this system... Uh, in terms of responsibility and implications as like a, a result of of their actions pretty yeah, much the same as way as you would person. yeah as the person right. right
0: yeah so basically um, a basic level of personhood mm. um, it may not be you know the kind of selfhood that we have where we kind of uh, reflect upon ourselves we have like metaphysical questions about who we are what we are blah 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 right. our place in the universe but Um, you know, if we're saying a weapon is fully autonomous and, you know, a human is not responsible for it, then we're effectively saying that, okay, then the intelligence governing the weapon is responsible for its actions. Therefore, we have to find a way to punish it. We have to find a way to control it and, like, keep it within a certain political hierarchy. We have to see how we can hold it accountable. Mm. So that's one way. The second way is... You know, we treated no different from soldiers in the sense that if a soldier makes a mistake, you know, one one side is they can be court-martialed, but the other side is that commanders are taken to task.
1: Same should go on to the person who made the decision to use the weapon in the first place.
0: Yeah. So, those are the two ways of looking at it. Those are two ways of uh, looking at... Um, accountability and responsibility basically so most most um, i think currently most of the ethical and political work around autonomous weapons is against the development of them uh, right. for the it, it's around a central principle called meaningful human control which is that if we don't have human control over these weapons then we effectively reduce people to nothing more than like vermin. you know we, We're indiscriminately seeding control, categorical imperative of hu- or like the, the, the kind of sanctity of human life, which basically means that that there, there can be no circumstances under which a human life should be taken. You know, No like circumstances.: No circumstance allows for murder or killing or anything. Okay. So, so that's, it's it's one of those big reasons why capital punishment is debated. Hmm. And this is, this is a bit of a tangent, but I think it's important to explain this idea. Yeah, go ahead. Um, So, capital punishment is debated because on, on one hand, it's a retributive thing, which is within Kant's uh, political system. Like, he believes there is some level of uh, retribution, retributive justice that should happen. Hmm. But on the other hand, there is the categorical imper- imperative to life, which is, you know, you cannot take life under any circumstance. So the state has to have completely inviolable proof that the person they're executing actually killed someone, in which case they forfeited that categorical imperative. They no longer have that right.
1: Okay. So but the thing is, if a person it, like in, uh, in that argument has mm-hmm. been like guaranteed is guaranteeably like provable that they have, uh, like broken that, that right for someone else, Yeah. then if they've killed
0: someone, then yeah, if they've killed someone, they've given up their right to life mm. and their, their cat, their like inviolable natural right is no longer theirs basically. Okay because they violated someone else's right okay however you know the if if even once a wrong you know if even once the wrong person has been put to death
1: mm.
0: for a crime they did not commit that's it the entire system is wrong because you have violated that law
1: right right because the system violated the law
0: Yeah, exactly. So the entire system is invalid, it cannot have that power anymore. So that's, that's the basic Kantian idea of like categorical imperative of life and so on. Hmm. And, and so the reason I brought that up is because meaningful human control basically says, if, if we are to have fully autonomous weapons that can, you know, make Uh, that can have, like, discretionary ability over which life to take, which life to save, and so on, then we are no longer honoring that sanctity of human life. We're no longer giving human life the importance,
1: uh,
0: you know, that it it has, that it psychologically has to us, and, like, politically and ethically and so on and so forth. In all these fields, there's a certain place that human life holds. And if we see discretionary control to um an opaque autonomous robotic system then we're treating humans no different than bugs yeah you know and um you know again there's there's that debate of like oh is killing bugs wrong or whatever but that's not important here
1: <laughs> no but yeah 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 it's also like an image uh, yeah
0: exactly exactly <laughs> Um, so so that, that's like the big argument. There's like tons of nitty gritties, uh, there's tons of like um, nuances and all, but I don't think um, we really <laughs> can get into all of those nuances in, in a podcast form. However, mm. the, 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 the big argument I was making in my thesis is that uh, this idea of control, this idea of human control is an illusion. Because um, in multiple cases, we've already violated that Kantian law.
1: Sure, yeah. We.
0: So that's completely been violated in so many cases. Like, I'm not even talking judicially. I'm just talking in the case of, like, drone strikes on civilians, mm. you know, carrying out, you know, there's been war crimes, there's been all of that. So we fundamentally kind of lost that... that um, imperative basically to yeah, choose not, which life
1: it's to not take been and. like one off cases it's been several times
0: over it's yeah, been a systematic yeah. yeah it's been a systematic thing hmm. um so that's that's the the that's the big argument i'm making it's that it's not morally impermissible to have autonomous weapons Okay. Uh, unmanned so the way I see it or the way I was seeing it while writing the thesis because I was kind of playing a bit of a devil's advocate there <laughs> right. um, but um, unmanned and fully autonomous systems you know they first off they provide a supremely powerful strategic um, importance uh, in that they can carry out reconnaissance missions they can survey the battlefield and they reduce the the casualties of human life a lot more right. than they would actually take human lives. Because right. you can very easily set them to not fire and instead just map and survey the terrain, you know, go out there and see the presence of other soldiers. You can have them carry out a bunch of strategic operations without damaging or destroying anything. And they need autonomy for that. Right. And they would still be considered weapon systems because they're going out there for a military purpose and they'd have some rudimentary self-defense mechanism. So that's it. Like, that itself is one completely viable method to use autonomous weapons without ever ceding control uh, to them.
1: Yeah, that's like, it's a bit of a tangent, but it's also like, Whoever like like gets like the ability to build this technology, it mm-hmm. it creates an even bigger divide between those who have yeah. access to this tech and those who do not.
0: This kind of ties back into that thing we I we talked about digital colonialism earlier, right? Yeah. Uh, to some extent. And it ties back into that um kind of uh, we, we didn't ever release that, did we? Didn't we? <laughs> hmm. I'm not sure. <laughs> but anyway, um, without getting too much into it, it's basically um, a one-sided relation of power, basically, and the one, the person who has more resources in terms of intelligence and, you know, this kind of digital capital. Which is data, which is, you know, being able to send out systems and scour them, the resources to build these systems to the point where they're almost expendable. Those those nations, those states will have much more power and therefore will have like this imperial hold on the states which are unable to do that. Yeah. So that's that's like one way to take this idea of digital colonialism. Yeah. Um and there's also so, so, there's also
1: the problem uh, that we see in a lot of AI systems now, which is the mm-hmm. the, the the poor bias. way that diversity and uh, like data diversity is handled. So right. like, from the basic things like face recognition, not performing as well on people mm-hmm. from uh, all the, like different ethnicities a lot of the yeah. big data sets in computer vision for face recognition especially are uh, uh, very like either uh, east asian or uh, or uh, western european and american like uh, centric mm. so mm-hmm. they have high accuracy in those fields but for people from uh, different ethnic backgrounds it's not as good at uh, recognizing the people you see that and often these systems
0: with, fail when confronted with those um, People of those exactly, exactly, right?
1: exactly. So, uh, like, we see that in a lot of different machine learning and AI systems where the data is biased, so the results are also biased in certain ways. And mm-hmm. when you're building something with such, uh, like, crazy stakes... Yeah, the the smallest biases can be a huge margin of error in terms of a person's life. Like exactly. when you just like if it's like one poor search result in your YouTube search, it's not as big of a deal as compared but to like one yeah, one yeah. misfire and and killing an innocent life. So right, that, that's another problem that really needs to be dealt with.
0: Uh. Absolutely. That that's So that's an important argument against, you know, instituting autonomous weapons. Okay. Um, but the way I'm putting it across, for now at least, is that, you know, they're intelligence gathering. They're not going to affect anyone. Beyond, you know, beyond gathering intelligence, beyond like the strategic power of just mapping terrain, of figuring out the strength of soldiers and reporting that back instantaneously without without the, the, the thing of human emotion clouding the, the numbers mm. or clouding the reports. Right. Because so no matter how like well we train our soldiers...
1: Yeah, it's more like automated assistance
0: Yeah, rather yeah.
1: than the weapon itself. Like, it's a tool. Uh, exactly. It's more tool. of like the vision of you know, your Siri and Cortana it's, it's, it's type, it's no, 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 I mean, like, I, I meant, uh, it's, it, it, it sounds a lot similar to, like, the original idea of your Siri and Cortana as, mm-hmm. like, the ability to constantly collect, like, real-time data as and when you just, like, ask a question or, like, yeah. in an ideal state before you ask a question, it has the information ready for you, uh And uh, the reason I brought that up is because, uh, from what I've read, uh, those voice assistants did actually, like a lot of the early technology was built by DARPA and other militaries as uh, pretty much like voice assistants for people on the battlefield.
0: So basically, it's to have a human computer interface that kind of takes out the emotional aspect. Because... Like, uh, as, as Yoda says in Star Wars, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. The thing is, war and wartime situations always will breed fear, both in civilians and in combatants. And very often it's easy to, like, taint your observation of the field, your recordings and, like, your recollections of things with your emotions you know uh, things may be exaggerated things may be understated and the, the power of these human, con- uh, human computer interfaces like voice assistants and so on is that they can take that emotional aspect right. out and still like allow you to report things accurately right. in your own language so that's, that's one way in which I think, you know, we can have autonomous mm. systems entirely as, you know, just assistance. Um, but the second is also that with, with more autonomous systems being deployed, you don't even need human combatants at all. Like you need people to deploy the weapons and people to help in evacuations but the rest of the war will be fought okay. by robots so you're literally taking human casualty out of the equation you can deploy you can deploy these systems in remote areas which may have strategic importance which may have like terrain pro- uh, terrain importance but you can like literally cut out human casualties now this is this is a super hypothetical kind of uh, scenario but it it it's also a really important um, advantage of autonomous systems, which is that they have this power to like honestly reta- uh, completely reduce or mitigate risk. Right. When it comes to uh, when it comes to, um, it was a really important and really debilitating um, side effect of war, and this kind of cuts that it out also, to an extent.
1: It makes it feel very meaningless to me.
0: Yeah, it, it, it inherently discourages people from taking yeah. steps towards war. Because on one hand, you know, there's the technological thing, you know, uh, like we said, that power imbalance that honestly already exists. But on the other hand, it's also just that you're wasting resources beyond just human life you know you're wasting tons of money the the, the risk of having state st- secrets stolen through cyber attacks and so on and so it, it actively discourages war when you develop um, autonomous systems like this isn't like like again this is a bit of a devil's advocate stance I'm playing because I do think mm. you know we're not at the point yet where we can have them developed or where mm. we can feasibly have them but I think you know it's it's definitely something we should consider. We can't outright, yeah, you know, deny the uses and like the the kind of uh, the kind of power that these systems would have in helping us get rid of war yeah, and as a state of unless being. Unless there's like a know,
1: significantly different set of regulations of movements that uh, like we go in as a world. Like this seems to be the way that we are sort of like heading towards. Mm. But uh yeah. Yeah. somehow on a lighter note, like like war without bloodshed, it sounds like it's like sports without an audience, right? It's just like it, it's very bizarre in that that sense. It's,
0: I mean, not necessarily, because the Olympics were founded as war without bloodshed. They were meant to um, prevent Greek states from going to war by putting them into uh, conditions of sport. So I think over time, once once autonomous weapons are developed and deployed, <laughs> robot Olympics, bro. Uh,
1: not even like robot <laughs> Olympics, like the actual <laughs> Olympics and those kind of events will just gain more importance as like... like. The Slowly. places where yeah. uh, interpersonal and I- international like politics is sort of managed—it's <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. fascinating. Like if yeah, uh, yeah. conflict isn't uh, like conflict, as in like mm. our traditional understanding of war, isn't the means uh, yeah yeah in that world like what else might come up like this. Uh, that might take its place because I feel like it's pretty deep into human nature to still have this uh, feeling where whether it's a country or some other thing, like my community is different from your community and then on a basis of difference of beliefs Mm. that we must fight.
0: Yeah, and I think that way like sports is sports in form of the Olympics and, you know, international competitions, like, you know, the FIFA World Cup and so on, they they can play a really important role in diffusing conflict, you know, or by transforming conflict. It's it's an entire possibility, but, uh, you know, we need to see how far it, it can that's go. That's
1: actually a fascinating thing that I hadn't considered at all, where, like, in uh, the current times, between de- developed countries, mm-hmm. or like even a lot of like the, like the second tier of developing countries, there isn't conflict mm-hmm. like there has been in the past.: uh,
0: Yeah, we live in peaceful times because of the f- well, I think to some extent it's because of the, the right. power that each country has mm-hmm. in terms of artillery. So it's it's just that fear of mutually assured destruction. Like the
1: conflict between uh, the the extremely powerful and the extremely weak, or internal conflict. That's uh, like the main things right now.
0: I would say it's more standoffs than true war. Yeah, there's no true war. You know, states don't go outright to fight. It's more aggressive political posturing and fights at like extremities or like at border situations. And, you know, then there, there tends to be a thing towards de-escalation or, you know, a, a constant like cold war almost situation. But for the most part, we still live in peaceful times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, maybe not right now, <laughs> maybe not like... <laughs> <laughs> for the past uh, couple of weeks, but overall, for the past, I think three three odd decades, the world itself can say it's been more mm-hmm. peaceful than it ever was. Right. Um, I, we've been on, we've gone on a bit of ta- a bit of a tangent from like this idea of moral responsibility mm-hmm. and like autonomous weapons. Uh, and I think I want to um sign off with this with like. Um, a a better look at what moral responsibility really is and why autonomous weapons are important in that. Okay. So, so the way I kind of conceptualized it in my thesis is that it's about social behaviors and like the fact that it's centered on the victims rather than the perpetrators. So moral responsibility isn't just taking people to court or considering them responsible. It's more about who the victims consider responsible and who they can ascribe or blame ac- blame um, for the actions, you know. Uh, for example, there was a study conducted in MIT, if I'm not wrong, is it MIT or Harvard? Um, anyway, there was a study conducted in one of these uh, colleges where um, You know there was there was a teleoperated robot that offered um, participants you know like this um, they offered them twenty dollars for a rigged uh, treasure hunt, and you know the robot would falsify that statement. It's teleoperated. It you know it, it has no responsibility of its own. It's been operated by a human. However more than half of the participants who took part in that um, treasure hunt and whose numbers were falsified they held the mm-hmm. robot accountable even after you know being told that it, it's been okay. teleoperated. you know they held it more accountable than a than like a regular rc car or mm-hmm. robotic machine whatever but obviously less okay. accountable than a human but they put the locus on the robot. So, like we can clearly see, it's not just mm. what the legal system believes. It's the fact that the victims themselves hold the robot morally accountable for its actions, even if it doesn't have power over its over its actions, because it is the end okay, agent. So it's that like carried a it problem
1: out. of perception of how we see it as, like mm. uh, how the victim sees it, right? like what yeah uh, like in the case of a weapon what attacked them in the case of some other ai system like what they had to interact with is what they're going to most likely put the blame on
0: yeah and we see this even with you know even with uh examples of who of people who we consider evil right like there are dictators who the world vilifies. Um, some examples are Pol Pot and Hitler. Like those, those people are unanimously just not good for what they did. Even though they're dead, even though we cannot blame them technically anymore, they are no longer responsible for their actions because they have died as a consequence of their actions. We still hold them accountable. We still say they are bad people and... You know the 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 consequences of their actions are still felt to this day um similarly you know in any case of suicide bombing the moral responsibility is on the person who you know committed suicide while bombing like they are they are the bad person they are held culpable even if they're dead so we blame people for actions that, you know, they carry out even if they can no longer be okay. directly culpable for it or they cannot be directly responsible for it anymore. We still hold them culpable morally in our minds and the way we perceive them. So, moral responsibility uh, as no, a as way to end this actually, actually, actually episode, moral like, responsibility. Like it also
1: makes me think of this uh, idea of responsibility and uh, I don't want to use the word blame, but essentially blame, like who is the who is responsible for an mm-hmm. action as almost like a spectrum. Yeah. Because uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, in those experiments...
0: Autonomy yeah, itself yeah, yeah. is so kind in, of a spectrum. In
1: those experiments, that people were sort of like thought of as like the highest level of Responsible uh, for a certain action, and then the tool that they use. So, in, in these autonomous cases, the more autonomous they seem, the more responsible they are for that. Yeah, and
0: I think we can also like compare yeah. this to attack dogs, right? Like like um, breeds like pit bulls and rottweilers, who are traditionally seen as you know, very aggressive, very um, dangerous, to an extent, we hold them responsible and accountable for their actions, even as we hold their owners and handlers accountable for their actions. Because the dog also has some level of agency in that it it. bites and attacks someone, maybe for no obvious reason. So it's held accountable. But the handler is also held accountable for not training the the dog properly.
1: The reason I brought up that idea of the spectrum is perhaps there is a way Mm -hmm. to split responsibility based on like a sort of factor on the scale of uh, how autonomous uh, and like like on this moral scale essentially sort of like is like perhaps like a, a mostly autonomous system. It might be 80% responsibility mm. of that system and 20% of the person who decided to use it. Like perhaps there might be some way of like splitting so, that. Like does that make sense?
0: So this kind of ties into this idea of like a multiplayer model, which again, I, I actually did talk about it in my thesis um, it's 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 a way to uh, tackle copyright law, which we've spoken about <laughs> before. That much I know. <laughs> um, basically, that uh, most most copyright law holds that there has to be a single entity that holds copyright for it for the work, be it a company or a person, or like a corporate or, or like a cooperative kind of thing of people. But basically, a singular entity holds the copyright for. Whatever work. Um, However, autonomous robots, as have been seen recently, are also capable of producing art on their own. But they cannot be held as the entity that holds a copyright. Just legally they can't, right? And uh, so there's this thing of multiplayer model which is, you know, there are so many people involved in training that AI. Or training that machine in into um, creating auton, uh, creating original work. So there's no actual singular owner, given that complex kind of mm. web of relations that's there, from like the designer to the trainers, the the people who are funding it. Um, you know, there's there's no singular owner, and so the the copyright itself is decentralized. Similarly in the (laughs) like maybe the near future or distant future or however we restructure our system, it can be possible to spread that responsibility itself across this web of relations surrounding autonomous weapons. You know it could be the commanding officer takes part of the blame, the operator takes part of the blame, the machine itself takes part of the blame, the people who train the AI of the machine takes somewhat some part of the blame, there's like this okay. this diffusion of moral responsibility where certain percentages go to certain things the 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 problem there though is how do we decide that you know how do we decide who has how much who takes how much blame
1: yeah <laughs> That gets, that gets like ex like no matter what like, you like what I feel like I can, we could come up with it would be yeah. extremely controversial.
0: I, I don't even think controversial. I just think we aren't in that situation enough or like we may not have read up enough, we we may not have researched enough or lived enough. It's <laughs> even um to to really come up with a solution like that but it's definitely something for um you know the lawmakers and the lobbyists and um the kind of ethicists to to think about which i think they are there's definitely more and more work talking about um you know issues surrounding autonomous weapons and even unmanned weapons which are you know remote controlled and so on I think it's it's an important field to um, look at, obviously. And, yeah, so uh, I think that's kind of everything that I really wanted to talk about regarding my thesis. I've, I've been very reductive with a lot of points I've made and I've kind of stumbled yep. over the, some of them a bit. Um, it's been a year since I've written it yep. and... <laughs> I've I've uh, not that I've actively tried to forget but I've actively kind of moved away from that field in terms of the research I want to do but but it's I I personally think it's a it's an interesting read I'm biased I'm very biased and you're allowed in that to sense. be. But I I think yeah yeah and I think I think I've done like a decent amount of literature review I've looked at some very important questions uh, regarding autonomous weapons So I mean if anyone's interested I'll put like a link to um the Academia or SSRN page where you can access the thesis and read through it if you want um you can contact me for like explanations or um like uh, just a better perspective of wh- how I look at things in this. This has been a bit of a self-centered episode and I think we're allowed one of those every Absolutely. once in a while.
1: And I've also been conducting <laughs> a bunch of uh, just fun polls, fun, uh, <laughs> questionably fun. On Instagram, but like, right? I've just been asking a lot of uh, uh, questions related <laughs> to the episodes that we're recording. So this week we've been uh, asking about what... Uh, whether you, the listeners, think that uh, the responsibility should be issued lie with the commanding officers or the machine itself, and overwhelmingly, the response that I've got so far has been that the the decision makers or the captains and the commanding officers are the ones who should take the blame, and uh, because mm-hmm. they like I. I got a few responses saying that they think of the 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 weapon as a tool, like a gun. It's like putting, mm-hmm. like trying to punish a gun for having shot a person instead of the person using the gun. So yeah. I am curious. After listening to this episode, if anyone actually makes it to this far, to, to 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 this point, like how that uh, <laughs> perception might change. And please reach out and tell us yeah, if it did. Is it?
0: Mm, I mean, is it is it like a question of you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people, or is it a question of guns do <laughs> kill people? Let us know.
1: <laughs> yep. But Take a stand. Uh, yeah. Time I to sign off.
0: Yeah, I think this is our ep- this is it for our episode on autonomous weapons. I'm Pranav.
1: I'm Marvin. Thanks for listening to the end.